This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, here we go. Results from the LRT telephone survey are in. And is anyone surprised, really, that 48% of respondents to this landline poll are against the project? Not surprising at all to me. Especially when you look at the scenario in which this poll was conducted. 3,300 Hamilton residents surveyed by Landline, the survey commissioned by nine city councilors. All coming just a couple of days before a huge, a key vote on the LRT's environmental assessment. 48% of respondents disapprove of the $1 billion plan. 40% are in favor. 12 on the bubble, undecided, sitting on the fence, not quite sure where to go, how to react what they think. This poll also showing that 63% of those asked believe the city should hold a referendum before making a final decision. Well, easier said than done. Carl Andrus is a published historian and co-chair of the Stinson Community Association and joins us on the Scott Thompson Show this afternoon. Carl, how are you? I'm good. What do you make of these uh, of this poll uh, results? Well, it's, it's really interesting. 68.7% of the respondents were aged 55 and older. So as someone who's under 40, I literally moved back to this vibrant and growing city, and I'm disappointed to not be included. I literally answered my landline for a whole week, turning down duck cleaning officers, <laughs> newspaper subscriptions, and most people my age don't even have a landline, So, and I wasn't even included in these polling results. So frankly, I'm a, I'm a little frustrated, but I'm also quite surprised. Like 40%, people aren't talking about that. That's huge. Given how skewed this poll was, that is, I, I, Terry Whitehead was tweeting about 90% of people being against this in the city. I, I think this is, this is quite telling, actually. Survey was conducted by Forum Research via landline and some cell phones, they say, between March 30th and uh, April the 4th. And as a margin of error, uh, plus or minus 1.7%, 19 times out of 20. So we should that we should uh, put that on the table as well. But, we I, should, I, but I, only 4.7% of the people that they polled were under 40. Correct. Were in my demographic. Yes, so. 4% between the ages of 18 or 34. So, and when you look at this project, Carl... LRT. We're not going to see this for a decade. So why are they even surveying people in their 60s? I, I, I was curious about that myself. The growth rate for those ages 25 to 35 is almost twice as high in Hamilton than it is for the province as a whole. We are a young, vibrant city. That's the people that are moving here to get jobs, to, to buy houses, to open businesses. It's why James Street is reviving. Um, I, I, I Quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked this is a thing. The overwhelming facts are on our side. The pro-debate isn't a debate, it's a fact about LRT improving our community, improving our public transit. Now here's the question. Does this poll change anyone's view of the project's future? Because we have 12% supposedly undecided. They're going to hear the results of this poll and think, oh my gosh, 48% of Hamilton is against this project. Uh, yeah, let's have a referendum and, and councillors cancel this project. Everybody's against it. Are we seeing this snowball into a an anti-LRT kind of movement? I mean, we, we've kind of seen it building, but I, I this might legitimize it. Actually, I, I think what's going on right now is that um, people are becoming aware of the issue. They're educating themselves. And they're pushing through the noise and the nonsense and some of the alternative facts that have been touted there and going, wow, someone has offered to make a major investment in my community. 
basically before this poll, before the whole debate hit, hit the media, you had a bunch of people on one side that were uh, for it. You had a small local minority that were against it and a whole bunch of people that didn't care either way. Now we're seeing that a whole lot of people are, are getting energized. I, I helped organize the rally where 500 people showed up to stand in front of City Hall and literally demand that council take action on this, this file. Given that our council leaders have been so abysmal in, in trying to educate people, I mean, there are leaders. How many of them have been out to Kitchener-Waterloo? Uh, before Kitchener-Waterloo blew their LRT, um, most of their city councillors went to other cities with LRT. Like, they're not engaged. They're not involved. They're not leading. You mentioned the education aspect, and again, we're chatting with Carl Andrus, a published historian co-chair of the Stinson Community Association here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. How much education has there been done for the public? I mean, we've had open houses, we've had a number of community meetings, uh, and we see and hear from the same kind of people who are for and against this project time and time again. Uh, As a community as a whole, how educated is this community on what LRT can do? I'm not sure, and I guess that's the the biggest challenge right now, is that um, we only get less than 40% turnout for municipal elections. So when people talk about having a referendum, for it to be binding, we would need 50-60%, but we can't even get 40% of registered voters to vote municipally in elections. I think what's happening right now is that people are, are waking up, and they are getting motivated, especially the young people. You've got the McMaster Student Union. I think the next election is going to be very much dictated by this issue. And I think those counselors that are on the fence or opposed to this really need to consider how much young people are inspired by this transformative project and might even get voted out of office if they don't land on the pro, the pro side of this. Do you think, and you know, one of the, one of the things that we all think as voters, as citizens, as residents of this community is, is my is my ward councillor, is our council as a whole, have they already made up their mind on, you know, a plethora of things, uh, whether it's, you know, an arena project or, or whatever the case is. But with this, we're talking about a $1 billion uh, city-altering, life-altering in many aspects, uh, project that we're going to be undertaking. Do you think many of them have already made up their mind and things like this poll and what, you know, community residents are saying really aren't going to change their mind? Well, I... I really think that councillors are ultimately elected by us and they have to respond to us and they have to respond with uh, with facts. And it's their, their literal duty to not only educate their constituents, but also to have an informed opinion. Right now we have a lot of councillors who are not telling us what they believe on this. So there are whole swaths and whole wards in this area who don't know how their councillor feels about this transformative project. So... Huge vote this Wednesday. It could make or break the project, many people say, in terms of the environmental assessment, whether council is going to go in or out. What does your gut tell you? Um, my gut tells me that the EA is a formality. It already passed in 2011. This is basically just an alteration of that uh, 2011 EA that council already passed. I really think that most councillors who have honest and open questions about this project need to vote in favour of the EA so they can get those answers on what this project is going to look like, what it's going to cost the city, what it's going to give the city. And that can't happen until the EA passes. This is really a formality, which is why it startles me that this is such a fight. Yeah, it startles me as well, and I'm sure many other uh, people in the uh, in you know in our uh, realm in terms of you know supporting this LRT project. But what is a worst case scenario on Wednesday? Them tabling it or deferring it or needing more study or they want to read it again? 
You know, it, it enters a legal loophole. We need two-thirds majority of council to overturn the previous 56 council votes in favor of LRT. So, um, I mean, we can kick this down the, down the lane, as Hamilton has a tendency to do with major issues and try and make it someone else's problem. But I don't see any compelling reason why councillors won't pass this EA, to be honest with you. Um, it is literally just a formality, and in order to get the answers they want about what it's going to cost to run or how much or how little tax dollars it's going to cost us, uh, how much uplift it's going to get, the EA has to pass. So for me, I think the EA will pass, and I'm, I'm trying to not think of it any other way. I think there's you know there's a number of things that the anti-LRT uh, group or movement have been pointing to. One of those uh, was the operating costs, and we had guests from uh, the Waterloo area today and on the Bill Kelly Show in studio talking about... Uh, uh, you know their project, which is you know in the final stages of being completed, and uh, I think the I think the number was eight or eight and a half million in terms of annual operating costs, which doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot of money. Well, especially when you consider that the um, the transit area that's been identified is where twenty two percent of Hamiltonians live. It's our busiest corridor. Like we're talking, the, if you've ever taken public transit, the One King, the Number Five, the B Line, those those buses are packed constantly at rush hour. The buses are going by people constantly. It's actually the ideal spot to build a higher order transit system, and um, it actually costs us more than twelve twelve million dollars to run the buses on those lines. So. Um, what I'm really hoping is people pass the EA and then we get to the point where those numbers will actually come out of the LRT office where they can finally tell us this is what it's going to cost and this is what we as taxpayers are looking at to have this project. Listen, unless the EA passes, we won't get those answers. I've been on those buses. I know what it's like. So yeah, LRT would be a major improvement. Has there been anything from the anti-LRT that has raised your eyebrow to say, you know what, that's a valid point which will be addressed in time. Has there been anything that has been brought up that you've looked at or heard and said, you know, that's that's valid, but, you know, that'll be addressed in, in due course? I, I've, I've been, been doing this not as long as some people, like Ryan McGrill, they've got 10 years on this file, but for the last two or three, I've been heavily involved, and most of the arguments that come up are based on fear and anti-government paranoia. I have not heard a compelling argument, and I would love to hear one from them. I, I, I sit down with them all the time and ask, well, well, tell me what it is about this project that, that scares you too much. Yes, we don't know exactly whether it's going to cost us $7 million or $8 million to run the operation on that corridor, but snow clearing is done. I've heard people tell me that people will literally die because ambulances can't get down the corridor. In fact, the ambulance dispatch uh, service provider I was talking to, they're looking forward to seeing their rates of dispatch uh, decrease because they'll have a channel, like that, that elevated LRT corridor. They'll be able to run emergency vehicles down there and improve their service time. I really, all I've heard from them is fear and nonsense, to be honest with you. Well, what's the one thing you're most excited about on this on this file? Um, I mean, aside from having higher order rapid transit that is going to build this city forward, so that means being able to get across the city from McMaster down to the East End, down to Ottawa Street to do my shopping. I, I love the Ottawa Street market. Um, aside from that, it is just that this project's going to reinvigorate the downtown. We're going to have a curb-to-curb renovation of 11 kilometers of our city. Imagine what that looks like. New sidewalks, new road surfaces, new lights, new traffic signals. I mean, it's just, it's an opportunity that doesn't come along often in a lifetime. And I think if we turn this down, we're basically going to be doing a disservice to future Hamiltonians and future generations. Carl, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Enjoy Wednesday.
Yeah, have a wonderful day. You uh, too. I'll be at council tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> All right, take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. LRT telephone survey that uh, is showing uh, 48% of respondents, 48% of the 3,300 Hamilton residents who were asked by landline and cell phone, 48% of that number disapprove of the $1 billion project. No way, Jose. We don't want LRT here in the great city of Hamiltonia. 40% are in favor of the project. 12%, which is a big number to me, still undecided on where they sit on the LRT train, so to speak. Also, 63% of respondents to this uh, forum research poll say we should hold a referendum before making a final decision. How many final votes do we need? we got a big vote this coming Wednesday. Environmental assessment has been tweaked. City councilors have had a little bit of time to study the, um, the new plan, the new EA, so to speak, and will be voting on that tomorrow. And uh, many uh, you know, city hall insiders are saying that this is a key vote. If it doesn't pass the smell test tomorrow, the LRT might be done like dinner. Brian Smiley is a patient advocate and private citizen here in the city of Hamilton and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Brian, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. So what do you make of this poll? I I find it fairly interesting, and even though I was a little surprised at uh, the numbers, I think if we drill down these numbers a little bit, we'll we'll get a little more uh, insight into it. Uh, you know, many people are saying the millennials in the 18 to 34 group uh, weren't very well represented. However, of the 18 to 34 that were very familiar rating, 57% disapproved of the LRT and 53% approved of it. Now, those of the, the general reading, it still showed a disapproval rate of 47% versus 43% for the millennials. Um, now, now, this also co- coincides with the, um, the older generation who have been through this all before, and they know it didn't work then. So why are you surprised? You mentioned off the top that you, you found it somewhat surprising. What is surprising to you? I found it surprising that the level of concern that the general public has as far as the judicious spending of our taxpayer dollars. Um, there seems to be more education over the past year as to how much is this really going to cost us, not only at the very beginning with this initial investment, but the long-term costs. So are those long-term costs alarming to you? Are they, uh, is that too much of a red flag? I mean, we heard earlier today on, on Bill Kelly's show, as he spoke with Tom Galloway and others, regarding what's happened in Kitchener-Waterloo with L- their LRT plan. And I, I'm pretty sure the number was $8.5 million a year to operate their LRT, which, you know, the grand scheme of things is not a lot of money. Well, when you consider looking at the data from the U.S., of 15 American cities who have much more experience than we do here in Canada. Of that, the median cost per hour of a bus is rated at $122.38. Now, the median cost for running light rail 
is $216.45. And this is national data compiled by the U.S. government. Okay, so that's that's the cost to operate buses versus LRT. Correct. Now, we also have to look not only how much of this money are we kicking down the road where the younger taxpayers and property owners are going to be paying for this for 20, 25 years, and it's going to cost a lot. And who in this age of austerity has the money to actually invest in this for this long a time? We feel that the LRT or a rapid transit system, you know, is very necessary. We just feel that this plan is very flawed as a result. Now, for example, um, Eisenberger, our mayor, um, Mr. Eisenberger, has been touting $70 million that they have spent so far in this um, consultation process. Correct. How many, a bus, an average bus, diesel bus costs approximately a million dollars. Now, I would suggest that we could put 20 buses running at a much lower cost and we would have the best BRT bus service in all of North America if we had only invested in the HSR for the past several years. And so, we wouldn't have a billion dollars yet. Don't, don't ever think that this billion dollars is free money. The Ontario taxpayers are paying for it. And this is what we are concerned about, is that we're going deep in debt for for basically a streetcar that goes to nowhere from nowhere. So you're basically saying the the $1 billion investment, because it is an investment, we're not, we're not taking a billion dollars and melting it or burning it. I mean, we are going to get something for that money, but you're not seeing the benefits of that dollar figure for what we're getting. Not long term, no. For immediate use, yes, the developers are all going to get rich. And uh, perhaps the downtown core will have a certain amount of revitalization, but there's only so far you can go, um, you know, downtown to expand. We're chatting with uh, Brian Smiley, patient advocate, private citizen here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott today. You mentioned that this was a flawed plan. What are some of the flaws that you've identified? We're cutting the city directly in half, and we're reducing the traffic flow from east to west. So by putting a dedicated LRT line in, we reduce the traffic lanes down to one lane, which is unbelievable. Now, many other cities, what they have done around the world is they've taken a a place where they have put the rail lines in away from the core. In other words, consider it as if it were on Burlington Street. Um, this is just my own opinion. Uh, put it on Burlington Street, then you could run BRT locks or lines all the way up into the core, up into the mountain. Rapid transit, I don't mean rapid rail, I mean just rapid transit, right. can go through all these hubs. It would also connect with the GO stations and everything else. This plan here does not account for that now that they've taken away James Street. Um, as a as a link, which is um, which plot to be 
begin with. It, but in terms of connectivity, though, I mean, let's just say the plan is to put it on Burlington Street. You're going to run BRT you know, through the downtown up to the mountain. In terms of connectivity, I mean, that's a lot of transfers. Now you're talking a little bit more time in terms of travel. It may not make the best sense in terms of a billion-dollar investment because at the end of the day, uh, you know, council, the city, the pro-LRT movement is looking at the, the new buzz term, economic lift. And obviously, you're not going to get that on Burlington Street with, you know, the businesses that are there. Uh, that economic lift should and could and probably will be realized in the downtown core, or at least through the downtown core. You're going to get the biggest bang for your buck putting the LRT downtown. Does that not make sense? Um, no, I don't agree with that. It makes great sense for the developers. It makes great sense for hotels. It makes great sense for that. But the the smaller mom-and-pop operations, I feel, would suffer greatly because you're not going to be able to get enough foot traffic to the actual on the actual sidewalks and the stores. So you don't think business owners, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, you don't think business owners around, uh, you know, an LRT station, from station to station, I mean, even in between stations, you don't think there's going to be a benefit there? I agree that there's going to be a benefit. I don't, I mean, it's, I believe it is being overstated at this time, hmm. considering that, where are you going to get on? You're going to get on at the traffic circle at Queenston, so there's no park and ride. Okay. You can't even you can't even access it, you know, from out of towners who are coming in from Smithville, Stony Creek, or whatever. So you've got no place to park your car, even when you get on there. And then when you get downtown, sure, it's going to stop at perhaps James Street. Uh, it's going to stop at Kenilworth and various places in between. However, it's going to be anywhere between 400 and 600 meters between stops. Now, how is an older person or a woman with uh, two children she's dragging along supposed to walk the length of four football fields just to get to a stop? Speedy Banks won't even do that <laughs> in the middle of winter. Well, you know what I mean? He might. So but... This is what we are concerned about, that in order to increase the efficiency, they have to reduce the number of stops. I don't know if they want to do that, because then, hey, that economic lift is suddenly being an economic downer. <laughs> exactly. And that's why this plan is flawed, in our opinion. Do you you got to think, though, that with LRT stops, uh, you know, a $1 billion project, everyone has to get their, you know, wants to get their hand in the pot, uh, you know, condos, maybe another hotel or two, that kind of economic boom is going to be realized through this project. Yes, I agree. And then the money is going to come in, and then it's going to go out in the in the higher operating costs over the next 25 years. Now, who's paying for this? How much is the loan going to cost for all this thing? And this is what the concerns that, that I have, is that who's actually paying for this? Mm -hmm. There's only one person, and that's the taxpayer. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, we pay for everything. Metrolinx is going to be Abrogating this whole line onto into a private corporation to run this whole system. The benefit we get is the ancillary or the extra benefits, obviously, which is wonderful. But if you were, if I was um, going to talk about an analogy, let's say my auntie Wynn has decided to gift me with a car, 
Now, I have a choice between a Honda Civic that is great on gas, great on maintenance, and low insurance, or a Lamborghini. It's going to cost me, through the nose for the next 20 years, an incredible amount of money. Now, which would be the better choice? And I'm getting this one for free? Yes. <laughs> Man, same, you're, you're tugging at my heartstrings now. is what's happening here. <laughs> you know, it's just a, a simple analogy that maybe people could identify with. Sure, but, you know, it's not that simple, obviously. And, and right. this project isn't perfect, and I don't think it can ever be the perfect project. Someone's always going to find a flaw or an issue or a problem with it. Uh, but when you look, I mean, at least when I look at it, I mean, we're affecting a, a pretty big swath of the city. I think the economic lift is going to be there. I think it's going to create uh, a lot of jobs, especially in you know the construction industry. Uh, yes, the mom and pop stores are going to significantly be affected by uh, you know closing the road, building this thing. Uh, there's going to be businesses that are going to have to shut down. There's no two ways about it. But I think when all is said and done, I think the pros outweigh the cons. Well, that is where we don't agree. <laughs> and 48% of the Hamiltonians don't agree mm-hmm. as well. That we just feel that this plan, who they have been dealing with this for 10 years, almost 10 years, um, still are just making things up as they go along. We so- don't have hard data in order to make such a financial decision at this moment. Brian, what does your gut tell you regarding tomorrow's EA vote? I think this is very much pause for concern here, and I believe that the uh, hopefully the counselors in their wisdom will you know, check out all the facts, and I don't believe that even all of them are convinced that this is the best plan for the money. In the long term, we've got a carrot dangling in front of our nose and everybody's saying, oh, boy, I'm going to get a really great streetcar. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, long term, it doesn't work. And we're going to be mortgaged to the hilt and our taxes are going to go up. In fact, every single ward, from what I understand, has a, excuse me, has a higher disapproval rate. So this is world, I'm sorry, this is citywide that there are concerns about all the citizens in every single ward who are concerned about this plan. Not that we are against the LRT and rapid transit. We just believe this plan is flawed. Would we uh, put you into the group of 63% who think a referendum is needed? Are you in that group? I, I, I have no opinion on that, really. Okay. But I do believe that for a, for an investment of this magnitude, that the taxpayers do have a right to voice their concern in that respect. I noticed the word, or at least the wording that I saw, did not reference binding referendum, which would really force council's hand if it were binding. Yes, that's true. That's now that, you know, I agree with now that. that would and be interesting. One concern I have with it as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you can you can spend all this money to conduct a referendum, leave out the binding part. People cast their ballots, and council says, "Thanks, uh, we're going to do our own thing." Yes, that's true. And considering there's an election this year, I think that the uh, taxpayers have a long memory. <laughs> they sure do. Brian, thanks for the time today. Thank you. Bye for now. Have a good one, Brian Smiley, patient advocate, uh, private citizen. Uh, Part of the 
anti-LRT movement, if you will, voicing his uh, concerns and uh, raising some red flags in terms of his views on the LRT. I think for me, and again, you know, this is a this is an investment. I'm looking at this as an investment. It's something that is going to improve a big portion of our city. Yeah, it's not going to touch all the parts. It's not going to affect 100% of the population in terms of usability, in terms of uh, you or I getting the benefits out of riding the LRT. But I think as a whole, I'm not a big believer in this is going to put the city on the map. I think Hamilton's on the map. I think we've already arrived. I think that happened years and years and years ago. You know, there's portions of this city that people across the country, and I've been across the country, there's portions of this city that uh, Canadians can relate to, that Canadians love about this city. And maybe we just take it for granted. I'm kind of going on a tangent here. But as I said, I think this LRT has enough pluses, has enough pros that outweigh the cons. And I look at that economic lift being a huge, huge gem in the crown of LRT. When you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of jobs, a billion dollars being poured into this community, that's just on the project alone. Think about all the other spinoffs, all the other um, positive influences that this project is going to create. And I know it's not perfect, and it can't be. A plan of this size and of this scope can't be perfect. It is impossible because you're not going to please 100% of the populace. It's just not going to happen. Someone somewhere is going to have an issue with it. Do I think this LRT poll is a little skewed? Yeah, of course. I mean, only surveying 4% of the millennial population, just 4% of people between the ages of 18 and 34, where 10 years from now, when this LRT is going to be done, they're going to be 28 to 44. They're going to be well out of school, there's no doubt about that, well into their careers, have a little more disposable income, probably paid off that student loan, are looking to, or have already in, in many cases started a family, possibly already living in downtown and thinking, no, we're not going to move because we want to see the benefits of this LRT. We want to be connected to the downtown or to McMaster or to the East End or, uh, you know, we'll get to that GO station. We need to be connected to the GTA. We need that instant uh, movement from our city to the Big Smoke, be it Toronto or Mississauga or Oakville or wherever they're going. Hey, throw in the all-day GO, and now we're talking. Now we're talking about connectivity. I think this is just a piece, this is a big piece, this is a piece of that connectivity puzzle that I I think has a lot of pros to it. So if I was a city council, and take it from me, I'm never going that route. But if I was sitting at the council table, I'd look hard and fast at this EA, this environmental assessment, and say, how is this going to get me one step further to realizing LRT? And my gut's saying that, they, you know, they're, they're going to uh, A-OK the environmental assessment. There's going to be enough positive tweaks that council as a whole will say, all right, let's move forward. Let's take the next step. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. British Prime Minister Theresa May's call for an early general election June the 8th. She wants a strong mandate as she negotiates Britain's exit from the European Union. May said she would ask the House of Commons 
tomorrow to back her election call, saying that since Britons voted to leave the EU in June, the country had come together, but politicians had not. Said the divisions risk undermining Britain's position in Brexit negotiations that lie ahead. Under Britain's Fixed-Term Parliaments Act, the Prime Minister can call an election if two-thirds of lawmakers vote for it. The leader of the main opposition party, uh, opposition Labour Party, that is, has previously said he would back such a call. So basically, Britain had the Brexit vote. Now Theresa May wants a general election to give, presumably, her and her party the mandate to carry the wishes of the Brexit supporters out. So what does it mean for May? What does it mean for Britain? What does it mean for other places like Scotland? We heard from Nicola Sturgeon. Well, Stephen Fielding is a professor at the University of Nottingham and an expert on British politics and political history and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Stephen, how are you? I'm okay, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on the Scott Thompson Show. So was this a shock announcement? Did this come out of the blue? Completely, yes. Um, Theresa May spent most of her time being Prime Minister um, telling people that she wouldn't be calling a snap election. And um, she spent Easter seemingly wandering around um, the countryside, being a marshal in um, in an in a amateur road race in a constituency. And nobody... Um, or anything coming when when she announced or when Downing Street announced um, sometime this morning um, that there would be an, an urgent announcement from 10 Downing Street in one one and a quarter hours um, on Twitter nobody knew what it was going to be about uh, because she'd explicitly said she wouldn't be calling a snap election um, so yes everybody was surprised so what's the mood like now that this announcement has been made well, I think this, I think the shock is still being played out. Um, I, there was a poll, an immediate poll, about whether people thought it was right for Theresa May to do what she has done, and you know, most a majority of people appear to think that she was justified in doing it because Theresa May has carefully defined the reasons for why she's um, she's taken this unexpected step, and of course, she said it's to do with securing the national interest. Being out strengthening her hand in negotiations with the EU. Hello, Stephen. Have you got me now? Yeah, we got you now. Yeah. You, you faded out a little bit. Okay. But- right. I, I was. I was. I was just saying that she she justified her decision in terms of the national interest in strengthening her hand in negotiations, and that may be true. But also, she's twenty percent ahead of the Labour Party, which will give her the Conservatives a huge majority if that's translated into the vote in six weeks' time. Does making an announcement like this, knowing that, uh, you know, obviously knowing the results of the Brexit vote, knowing where the appetite of Britons stand, does making this announcement at this moment make sense? Well, it does. It certainly does for her. If if she wanted to call an election, um, this is the right time, I guess, to do it because she's invoked Article 50, but there's now a pause. Although that, that's meant to start negotiations, there is now a pause um, because the French have got their presidential elections. The Germans will have their um, elections um, in the summer too. So in effect, the negotiations won't start till the autumn. And once they, when, when they do start, you can't really hold a general election um, during that. They will take one and a half years, maybe two years. You can't really have an election then. And she will be obliged to have an election 
almost as soon as those negotiations have terminated. And so for her, this is probably the best time to go. Um, and, and also, um, it's unlikely that the Conservative Party will be 20% ahead of the Labour Party in two years' time um, because negotiations might have been difficult. She might have had to take very um, hard decisions which won't all be popular with uh, the British people and Labour might have got rid of its highly unpopular leader Jeremy Corbyn by by that point. Uh, May's uh, governing Conservatives have a small majority at this point, 330 seats in the 650-seat House of Commons. Um, given the timing, given what happened with the Brexit vote, uh, this might be a big victory for her should she come out with a majority. Or a bigger oh, yeah. majority. Um, if Yes, I mean, she, she, well, on the basis of calculations, you can't ever quite be, be, be certain about these things, but most, most calculations are the Conservatives will end up with a majority of about 100 to 150 seats. So that will give her complete freedom to negotiate in the way that she would want. Because the other thing to bear in mind is that although the Conservatives have got a 20-seat majority, the Conservative Party is, is still divided over what kind of Brexit they should have. Most, many Conservative MPs voted to remain. And some Conservative MPs want to, t- want to cut all ties with the EU and just float off into a, into a global economy. So there are divisions within her party. And this majority will allow her to basically say, I've got the authority to negotiate in the way that I want. She doesn't become dependent upon the hard Brexiteers or the soft Brexiteers. She can basically do her own, uh, chart her own course. Of course, that doesn't mean that the EU will give her what she wants. That's still the, that's still a problem for her. But but it will strengthen her hand to basically forget about her critics. Um, but the other the other thing we need to bear in mind, however, is that um, she still needs to have Parliament vote for um, for 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 an election because there's a slight formality that she has to go through. And there is some question now that the Labour Party, or at least all Labour MPs will vote for it. And she needs to have um, two-thirds of all MPs need to support an election um, when, when she does ask the Commons to do that. And I think that will be tomorrow. We'll find out what, what will happen. And about you, that. So we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't take it for granted there will be an election, but it's highly likely there will be. I was going to say, do you see any issue with that, two-thirds? Well, as I say, the, the Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, um, has, has said, as you know, for, for, for quite a while, that if there is, if, a, if the Prime Minister wants an election, he will support it. But the problem is that the vast majority of his own MPs, Labour MPs, do not support Jeremy Corbyn. And many of them are looking down, down the barrel of a gun. Many of them are going to lose their seats. And so why should Labour MPs, who don't even agree with their own leader on many, many issues, respect his decision that the Labour Party should vote for an early election? Um, so that will be interesting to see how many MPs, Labour MPs, um, don't do that. But I think it will be unlikely uh, that a two-thirds majority will not be achieved. But it's still it's still there to be decided. We're chatting with uh, Stephen Fielding, professor at the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Um, the what if, and it's probably a highly unlikely scenario, but what if she loses that election? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Um, that, that well, is, no, I know, it is that, funny. It is funny. That, 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 is, that is so unlikely. Um, 
let me just run through the reasons why. At the moment, the Conservative Party is 20% ahead of the Labour Party in terms of popular support. When, you, when people are asked, who do you trust, on a whole range of issues, the Conservative Party has a, has a huge majority over the Labour Party over all issues, apart from one, which is the National Health Service, which is a classic Labour kind of um, issue. And, and when people are asked, you know, do you support the economy, however, which is the one that really does does determine how people are going to vote. The Conservatives are just oh, just streets ahead. And Jeremy Corbyn is, is just such an unpopular leader for the Labour Party. It is incredible that people will think that they want to vote for him to be Prime Minister. I think, what was it? Um, I think there was a, a poll done um, the, last week um, where people asked, people are asked, who would you rather be Prime Minister, Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn? Well, Theresa May, by streets, um, was, was ahead. The don't knows were ahead of Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. Well, it's a good sign for the don't knows, yes, but it's well, not sure. a good sign for Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, you know campaigning on the strength of the Brexit vote, uh, do we yeah. see a, an overwhelming majority of voters saying, let's go with the party that has given us this mandate and, and give mm-hmm. May's Conservatives a, uh, a a bigger majority? Well, the thing about the referendum um, last year was it was a very narrow result. Um, mm-hmm. It was 52-48, and that did cross party lines to, to, to a great extent. But many of the people that came out to vote in the referendum don't normally vote. I mean, I should say the people that voted to leave the EU, many of those people don't normally vote in, in elections. So what Theresa, one reason why Theresa May has to make it clear that this election is basically the referendum rerun, um, that to get those people out to vote for her party, some of them, quite a few of them, would normally vote for the Labour Party. But if she can define the election as, a, as being, we're, we are leaving Europe, who do you trust to negotiate that that? Um, the, the leaving of Europe, um, I think she will be able to pull in people that don't normally vote and certainly don't normally vote for the Conservative Party. And will also, I mean, there, there'll be people in the, there'll be normal Conservative voters, let's say a third of Conservative voters, who, who voted to remain. But they do not wish, they haven't got a viable party to support. Um, the Labour Party at the moment, its official position is we're leaving. Um, but they're supporting the referendum result. Uh, but nobody thinks that Jeremy Corbyn is a competent leader. But the, but the Labour Party is in fact divided over over that issue. There's only one national party um, that supports not going, not not leaving, or having another referendum to endorse um, whether Britain should leave under the conditions negotiated by the government, and that's the Liberal Democrats. And at the moment, the Liberal Democrats are about 10 percent. In, in, in the national opinion polls. So they're not a viable alternative government. So um, the, the way that, 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 that May has defined the election, it's about Brexit, it's about um, who's best, who's most competent to negotiate Brexit, it's about strengthening her hand to, to get the best deal. I think she's, she's basically ensured that even doubting Conservatives, people that might want which Britain still was in the EU or staying in the EU will be will be drawn in, and she will get traditional Labour voters who would normally not vote Conservative, but they'll vote Conservative for this election. 
Meantime, standing in the background is Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, who's seeking to hold a referendum on independence from the UK, and was quoted as saying yeah. today that May was seeking to, quote, crush the voices of people who disagree with her. Well, You're the, chuckling. Why is that funny? Sturgeon, well, because, because um, a few weeks ago, Nicola Sturgeon was criticizing Theresa May because she didn't have a mandate. Because she said, well, you know, people voted for me, Nicola Sturgeon as leader of the you know, Scottish Parliament. But, but when you became Prime Minister, there was no vote. It was just an internal Conservative Party thing. Now Theresa May is seeking a mandate. She's criticising her for doing so. So basically Nicola Sturgeon is, is trying to have a cake and eat it. Nicola Sturgeon's one basic interest is obviously to have an independent Scotland. And she will find any argument to justify um, for her, her in that position. So... You know, whether Theresa May called an election or didn't call an election, um, then it, Nicola Sturgeon would criticise her. I think she is correct. She is, she is correct, however, in saying that what Theresa May wants to do is basically crush opposition. She wants to crush opposition in her own party, as well as in the Labour Party, as well as in Scotland. Basically, Theresa May is looking for this election to give her such a huge mandate, such a huge majority, that she will be able to negotiate with the EU and just ignore her critics. Um, such as Sturgeon, such as in the Labour Party, and such as, um, you know, the few that remain on the Conservative benches, like perhaps Ken Clark, the former Chancellor, um, who, may, who may still be around um, to, to voice his opposition. But yeah, you, it's kind of, um, she's going through the authoritarian route. You know, it's May's, it's May's way or no way, and, and this election will facilitate it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that independence uh, referendum n- must be approved in the House of Commons, in which May would control, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. But, but, May's, but, but May has already made, and, and she's supported in this by, by the Labour Party, May has said that she isn't rejecting the call for a referendum. She's just saying that the referendum should happen after negotiations have, be, have been completed. Um, Nicola Sturgeon wants to have um, a referendum just you know, prior to that, um, prior to Britain actually leaving the EU. So it's, it, it, might, it might sound like a matter of detail, but it's quite important because May wants the referendum or, or is going to agree to a referendum after Britain's left the EU, which would mean that Scotland, if it voted to leave the, the United Kingdom, would then be outside the EU as well and would have to negotiate its entry into the EU, should the EU wish Scotland to become part of the EU. Which might dissuade voters from supporting that independence. Absolutely, because there's no, because um, one, one of the arguments in favour of, of, of an independent Scotland that, 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 that um, Sturgeon is, is, is selling is that many people in Scotland, well, many people in Scotland voted to stay within the EU in, in, the, in the referendum. Um, so it would be the worst of all circumstances uh, for an independent Scotland to be outside of the UK and outside the EU. Um, so May isn't, isn't minded to give her that convenient uh, position of leaving the United Kingdom while it's still in the EU. We're chatting with uh, Stephen Fielding, professor at the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Uh, my producer, Jacob, made an interesting point saying that Theresa May isn't fully on board with Brexit, so she's committing political suicide here to save the nation. Well, that's an interesting point. I'm not quite sure if it's, if it's the right one. Um, I mean, Theresa May, yes, absolutely, Theresa May voted to remain. Um, but she did it in a very cautious 
way. And she quickly accommodated herself to the, uh, to, to the Leave vote. And so she, she very quickly basically has adopted the Leave vote as her own and has you know, claimed it as you know, expressing the voice of the British people, although it only expressed the voice of 52% of the British people who actually voted. So she, she, she does not, I mean, in some ways, going, going for this election is to simplify things. Um, she, she justified um, calling the election by saying there were lots of diverse voices, you know, it's, it's, you know in her own party, but also on the opposition benches. Um, and there's lots of different, there's, there's disagreement as to what kind of Brexit Britain should have. And the reason there is disagreement is because still, even now, um, the same number of people who voted to stay in the EU still want to remain in the EU. Um, so she has kind of flipped um, in terms of that. But that, that was the decision she's made. And now she is a Remainer who will, as she said, you know, even if it means there is no deal with the EU, Britain just falls off the cliff and has world trade organisation um, relations with the EU. She's happy to go with that. Um, she's, she's happy to go outside of the single market if it means that Britain has control over immigration, because that was the issue that basically drove the Leave vote. So, yeah, she did kind of um, she did support the Remain case in a lukewarm way during the referendum. But she's flipped now. She's completely Brexit um, and a hard Brexit, if necessary. You know, she's she's happy to play very um, hardball with 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 the EU on this. Um, so long as Britain retains its it regains its sovereignty, controls immigration, she's willing to accept. This is what she says she's willing to do at the moment. There's a theory, however, that if she gets her big majority, she will be able to soften her tone because she's saying what she's saying to appease the significant number of MPs on her own backbenches who are themselves genuine, long-term, hard Brexiteers. And maybe there'll be a reshuffle where she might ditch some of those people like Liam Fox, um, who she brought in um, when she first became Prime Minister to give her um, a more emollient tone. So we don't really know what, what the real Theresa May. She's, a, she's an enigma in many ways, a remain... Um, a Remainer who became a Brexiteer. And so when she gets a majority, I guess that will when, that, that is when we'll know exactly what, who the real Theresa May is and what she is precisely prepared to negotiate away um, with, with the EU. Found it interesting how David Cameron went down with a ship or fell on his own sword and, and May really avoided the collateral damage and has gone on and, and by all accounts will go on to even more power. Uh, but we got about a minute left. How prickly do you think the negotiations are going to be with the EU? Oh, well, if I knew that, I could make a lot of money. Uh, but there are people who, who, know, who know this issue far better than I who say it can't be done in two years, you know, um, but it's far too complicated. So we, we don't know. Formally speaking, it should be within two years of, well, it should, it should have happened within two years, a few, a few weeks ago, uh, in two years' time. But um, I don't know, that's, that's, that's pushing it, because um, negotiations won't even start till the autumn now. Mm -hmm. so well, we that'll be interesting know. for sure. Stephen, appreciate yep. the time. Thank you very much today. Okay, thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.